Do you still have a landline? Do I? No, of course not. Okay. I'm waiting for Elon to call me and say, here's your Neuralink, here's your Starlink. We're ready to implant your phone, and here's your flying car. <laughs> well, I think we're already supposed to have flying cars by now. So I heard that the well, other I've day. Always ad- I've always identified with Jane Jetson. Oh, me too. Hi, this is Steve co-host of The Art Box. Before we get to our episode today, let's have a word from our sponsor, the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Hi, my name is Chris Pichor. I'm with the Virgin Valley Artists Association, and I've been volunteering for them for many years. I served as president, past president, and I've been on the board of director for probably seven years. I wanted to share with you a little bit about what the Virgin Valley Artists Association is all about. We're a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we're run totally by volunteers. We maintain the Mesquite Fine Arts Center, which has now become the Mesquite Fine Arts Campus, where we offer free programs to children, teens, and adults. We also offer many types of art classes, ranging from all types of brush art, drawing art, three-dimensional art, which would include pottery, jewelry, and earth elements, and even junk art. We have a different competition and exhibition every month, which awards ribbons as well as monetary prizes. We also have space for our artists who are not participating in our monthly exhibition to display their work. And we have a gift shop where our artists can sell their art. We offer bi-monthly and often weekly paint and pour parties on Friday evenings. These are one of our major fundraisers. People get to paint a painting, they get to have a couple of glasses of wine or beer, and just have a good old time. We're coming up on our 20th anniversary in September and we're planning a big celebration for that. We're also getting ready to have our annual Witches Ball. Aside from all of this, we have acquired three new buildings for our campus a new pottery studio, an additional classroom, and a student store where art students can purchase their supplies, hopefully at a lower cost than retail. But all this takes people, people who love and appreciate art and want to let the art spread throughout the community. The Virgin Valley Artists Association needs volunteers. We can use help in all areas, from accounting, secretarial, front desk, people to pour at our paint and pour parties. We need people to help us design and furnish our new buildings. And we need people to do workshops, help us plan and help us set up our fundraising events. If you wanna see this community grow in the arts for all ages and all age groups, please contact Chris at C-P-I-C-I-O-R-V-V-A-A at gmail.com or call 435-229-9964. Or you can stop in at the gallery and leave a message for Chris at the front desk. I hope to see a bunch of you come in and offer your services. Thank you for listening. See trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you, and 
Virgin Valley Artists Association welcomes you to the Art Box, recorded in our beautiful Mesquite, Nevada, and sponsored by the Virgin Valley Artists Association. Our association has something for everyone of all ages. Come and get creative with us at 15 West Mesquite Boulevard, or find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, or on Facebook as Mesquite Fine Art Center, also on Facebook, The Art Box. I absolutely think that everybody should have a Starlink and a... Does Linda know our background story? Oh, no, we can talk about that a little bit, though. I'd love to hear that. What's your background story, Jane, with Steve? Probably, I would think maybe 40 years ago, I met Steve at ice skating rink in Easton, Maryland, and we had a co-ed ice hockey scrimmage and I had to learn to skate with hockey skates because nobody wants figure skates on the ice when everybody else is body checking and there was there was somebody who wore figure skates I forget who it was it was me the first time oh, was it you the learn. first time okay that was me that was me I had to learn how to how to skate in hockey skates and to do a hockey stop and all of that so what's the difference between figure skates and hockey skates? Do you skates? know what a figure skate is with the oh. little claw on the front? Yes, I know that. Hockey, hockey skates are round, and uh, the blade is much more point, uh, pointed is not the word, triangular okay. when an ice, a, a figure skate is not that. To yeah. protect the players more, I'm gathering. Oh, no, I think you can make somebody bleed with a hockey skate. You can oh. make somebody, by by hitting them with the blade, you can make somebody bleed with a figure skate by hitting them with the toe. Oh, yeah. wow. It's called a toe pick. Okay. If you ever, if you ever, watch, if you ever watch that movie, I, there's not that many hockey movies, so I know them all, where um, she was teaching the, the hockey player to be her, her partner mm -hmm. for pairs, and she would always tease him, toe pick. Okay. So, Jane, did you make Steve bleed? Did you wipe wipe him all over the ice floor, the rink? <laughs> My guess is this was 1982 or 3. Is that, does that sound right, Steve? Um, yeah, somewhere around there. 80, 84, 80. maybe. 80, okay. yeah. 84, 85. And so we were all really young and really happy and the 14 year olds were happy to watch us scrimmage while they were our goalies and it's oh, great it was just fun sure. and the parents were happy to have their kids get more goalie t more time in goal because that's important yeah actually my eight-year-old came out and was a goalie and he was never a goalie but he had a he had well, a, I, thought, it, I thought we only let the teenagers do it oh my goodness no. now i'm in now is that teddy's father um yes yeah, and, and and he had a good time. Oh, I bet he did. Watching yeah. the adults flail at each other. Yeah. And the other part, the other part of our story is that Steve and I have had an interest in Native American basketry that we kind of shared in the background on Messenger, and he's bought baskets for me, and um, I think the Totono Autumn basket. I think you got one of those for me. A couple of others. And then Gwen wanted um, a basket that I 
had some pottery from Iceland in it. Yeah, and it's, so, it, it's because, sitting it's sitting right here, and Linda's getting to touch oh, it. Good, good, good. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. I love the shape of it. It's beautiful, Jane. And Thank you. I hope you've held it in your hands. I'm whole. Yes, I have, and I still am, and I'm feeling all the stitching in it as well as the reeds and the rocks. It's it's amazing to me the intricate, fine work that you do. It's just beautiful. And how long did that take you? I don't keep track. I was just having a discussion about the keep time question with another basket maker, Coiler. I've practiced law for a very long time, and I, I used to live my life in 15-minute segments and bill by the hour or by the quarter hour. And so it's a, it, it's a wonderful freedom for me not to keep track of time, um, not to have it be a time function. It's, I want it to be a meditation. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's, well, it's a meditation in the, in the sense that it, that it can empty my mind, clearly empty my mind. I can't imagine, forget what we paid for, for this one in particular, but I can't imagine that we reimbursed you for your time nearly at all what it took to make this you didn't i don't even remember the price but i since i don't bill by time i i would be quite frankly embarrassed to send to bill somebody for ten dollars an hour i'd rather do it by what my heart is in it and what my hands are in it what my mind is in it and then the the size has some relationship in the cost of the center, um, how hard it was to find the things that I use. That um, Linda, the piece that you have, the Iceland basket with the pottery center. Yes, um, that was a pendant that I bought at the potter's shop. I think there's a bead on the rim of the center. There is. And that's where the hole for the pendant lace was. Oh, okay. One of the things I love about your baskets is is the stones that you incorporate into them. Thank you. Those are those are lava beads. I bought okay. them. I bought them in Reykjavik. Oh wow! Oh, I see. Did you know those were lava beads? Mm -hmm. That's why we bought it. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the stone in the middle. There's a chunk of lava in the pottery as well. That's what I noticed right away. But now I see the it's lava amazing. beads have little pits in them. You can tell they're lava yeah. beads. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. If we were hippies, we could put essential oils in them and wear them as bracelets, and we would, we would um, bliss out. <laughs> so tell our listeners how you got started in basket making. I can talk about the weaving, but that's just a craft story. Mm-hmm. You know, a friend of mine's mother taught basket weaving, literally, and he said, I think you'd like it. You do a lot of crafts, and I did like it. And I have owned a pine needle basket that my mother purchased. She did not make it. But my mother was born in 1910, so I assume the basket is from the 1920s or 30s, and that it's from South Carolina because it's the style of it. I will send you a photograph of that. The style of it is very classic, East Coastal 
uh, design of pine needle baskets. In the back of my mind, I always wanted to learn to do pine needles, but I want, I like teachers. I like being able to ask questions and I don't usually strike. I didn't used to strike out on my own. Let me put it that way. I didn't used to strike out on my own. I do not. So I found the best teacher in the world. I mean, you know, and I happen to have been going to the part of Oregon where she lives and teaches in 2013. And I thought this is the opportunity. And I was so wrapped around the axle by all of it. I, I just... The other three women in the class made baskets, not like the one you're holding, but baskets. I made a button. I mean, it was a big button, but it was a button. It wasn't, there wasn't anything basket-like about it. And I thought, I got to learn to conquer. If I'm, gonna, if I'm going to enjoy this as much as I had planned to enjoy it, I have to find some way to make baskets and not buttons. I will, I will send you a picture of the button, too, which is pretty funny. It's oh, literally is this, tiny, this tiny little basket that the teacher had to help me make. And now when I post something in our Facebook group, she'll sometimes say, did I teach you that technique? And I usually say yes, because, you know, she could have. Uh-huh. If I had been the student she needed, she could have taught me. She could have taught me that. What, was, that um, a, was that a class that you... You enrolled in in Oregon? It was a class in Oregon that she set up because she knew I was going to be in town. And so she she had a bead store where she didn't have a bead store. She used a local bead store and two other people signed up. So she scheduled it for the time I was going to be in town, which was charming. And she's lovely and I like her a lot. So I had three very famous teachers my first six months of coiling. It was Sherry Smith and Carol Busto and Jean Kuhn. And by April, I was making little something for my business cards. And, and I was making things with antler, deer antler slices and basically striking out on my own, sort of putting it together. I sometimes have a spatial perception issue which may account for the button. And so I decided that what I needed to do was to be mechanical about it. And I needed to figure out a way that I could start a basket the same way every time, reliably, so that then I could get creative. And that mechanical process I solved when I was sleeping. So I want to say now, I love my sleeping brain. I know a lot of people don't like their sleeping brain. I love my sleeping brain because it took me probably less than five, five days, six or seven days, maybe, until I sat down and went, right, this is the way to do it. Oh, I, I, I don't have to ask, ask my dream question now. <laughs> What's that? I don't have to ask my dream question now. You've already covered it. Go on. Oh, that is the dream. That <laughs> is. That is yes. my. And, and I am a linear, I'm a linear learner and I'm a linear teacher. And when I say that I'm a basket mechanic, people go, oh, no, you're an artist. And I'm like, um, 
Thank you. I appreciate that. I know I create some fabulous things. I will also tell you that I have solved so many problems for the kinds of things that I do for me and for others because of the way my, my brain, my left linear literal brain works. My partner over there is shaking her head because she's a math teacher. A retired math teacher. She's not old though. She's rather a young retired math teacher, and um, she is she is big into problem solving and art. So Linda's smiling. Go on, Linda. Linda, and and when I teach, I say this is the way that works for me. If you learned a different way and you're already a coiler, do it your way, and I can switch my brain around and help you do that. But if you're starting out. Try my way, because it certainly has. I've certainly simplified it down to the basics for myself. And I, I want to tell you my my two favorite technical coilers, who are also quite artistic, that I've never met. Know them from the Facebook group. One is a graphic designer and an artist and a pineal artist, and the other is an academic chemist. Oh wow! And a uh, right. So we're all we're all literal left brain linear thinkers, and I love that. It sounds like you handled that struggle between your left and right brain expertly. I I have problems all the time. I'm a painter, and so I'm constantly struggling between my left and right brain. I'm right in the middle. Do you use sleep for resolution of any of that? Because that's what I do. When I sleep. I'm usually dreaming about this alien culture taking me up out of this world into another universe. So oh. I can't. Well, that's fun. And I come along in my flying car. On your hot air balloon. Yes. Yes. His name is Burning Desire, by the way. But I'll oh, tell really? you, I task, I task my brain. If I need, if I have a problem that I need solved, mm-hmm. that I need to have solved, my grammar could be better. I do it. I have a, you know, I wonder how this would work in which direction or how, mm-hmm. what solution here. And usually in a couple, if that's the thought when I'm going to sleep, I have an answer in a couple of days. Okay. So as a computer person, so you set up a batch job to run when you go to sleep. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And nobody else on the network knows I'm working. <laughs> That's great. I just love that. Does, does your brain charge billable hours? <laughs> my liver brain does. My art brain doesn't. <laughs> I was talking about your sleep brain. Well, that's what I'm saying. If I'm solving legal problems, if I'm writing a closing argument... Hell yes. If if I'm, you know, if I'm reviewing a flight that I've had, uh, I don't know where to build that. And certainly art, it wakes me up to run down to my studio and see if it works. Oh, how fun. I'm looking at the basket. I get up early in the morning. I mean, my two hobbies. I get up, I consider art right now as a hobby because I don't make a living at it. But is that the definition? Probably not. But I, I've always gotten up very early since I was a child. And so hot air ballooning and being in the studio with the back door open, looking outside, is perfect at 4 o'clock in the morning, whatever season. 
streets full of people All alone Roads full of houses I'm looking at your basket and just wondering, do you use special tools to bend these needles around? The tool is the what some people call the binder, the thread, the cord, whatever name you want to give to it. Okay. Um, what is the, what is the, um, I didn't look at a picture of the basket. What color is the? Is the thread is it gray or black? The thread red? is the thread is black and the needles are red. And, and there's black. no gray or red thread. I don't see any, Steve. Do you see red? Okay. His eyes are better than. Well, at the top, at the top, there it's red. Yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the top, and then that layer right there, they're red. Yeah, that's... yeah. So they go from black okay. to red. Mm-hmm. That's an old uh, war story too, right? Uh, the red and the black. What I I will send you a process picture because the the pine needles, I'm right-handed and I, I my sewing needle is in my right hand. But what bends the pine needles is the tension of the thread. Okay. As I take a stitch. Okay. And so I stitch one the working row to the row below mm-hmm. and that anchors it. Wow. If you hold it up to the light on the row where the gallery row of beads are, the straight row of beads. Yes. I know that one had a straight row of beads. You can see the connections are sort of buried on the top and the underneath of the row that encompasses the encapsulates the beads. Yes. So so the only tension comes from a little bit of pressure from my left index finger and all of the torque I put on the thread, which is Brazilian polyacrylic cord, when I take the stitch. Okay. And you mentioned so you, you have a versatile style which matches the materials you choose. I do. My friend who's the graphic designer uh, is the one who reminded me that I said, you know, sometimes I want a carnival and sometimes I want a campfire Mm -hmm. because I can do sisal twine and sinew and untreated pine needles and untreated wooden beads and make a very rustic kind of basket. But if I want to do color if i wanted to highlight like i did that that piece of pottery with the lava shard that gwen and steve bought that had to be bright and bold and a big frame for that piece of pottery so i think i think it is my artistic style and my use of color and pattern and texture and shine that changes depending on the materials that I choose. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you also use old costume jewelry sometimes. Yeah, it's my favorite thing. My favorite class to teach because I i don't much like puns unless I make them up. I'm not fond of people who pun uh-huh. except me. <laughs> and, and so the my favorite class to teach for an intermediate coiler is called Broach the Subject because the center is all 
grandma's brooches that I've gotten from thrift shops and yard sales and, and your great aunt Sally's jewelry box. Oh, wow. They must be and that's gorgeous. Fun because it's some pretty technical stuff to learn how to handle the brooches because they take some particular mechanical handling. Mm-hmm. Can I ask about the colors? Do you dye the needles? I do. As a matter of fact, I should send you a picture of the, the Elf's Workshop. I feel like I I might get, is it Will Ferrell who plays the Elf? I, I think Santa's going to convert this to a pine needle Christmas workshop. I have a 22-quart roaster going cooking pine needles on the back deck now because I have a class coming up in September. I buy them dyed as well if it's a color I don't do well. Turquoise is hard for me. Bright teal green's hard for me. So there are people who do it well, so I pay them for their for their expertise. But I buy the thread from a Martha's Vineyard distributor who buys it in Brazil. And I buy my beads everywhere. Except a bead show, because I don't think I have the fortitude to go to a bead show. I would spend the groceries in half the rent. And <laughs> and I I do have a, if you know Roger, re, Linda, please tell me you know the reference to that song. If um, I have a theory, and the theory is that I will live as long, long as I have stuff to make another basket with. So I never purge myself. I, I'm not a hoarder, uh-huh. but I always have a continually refreshing stash. And, That's fantastic. And do they call you? They do. You know, sometimes I think, wait a minute, where's that slice from the peach tree that Howard cut down in his backyard? And I'll go find it because I've marked it in a bag and figure out what to do with it. So literally, yes. But sometimes I'm I'm in a dry spell and I keep I keep most of my stuff in separate plastic shoebox bins like you buy at the Walmart or Dollar Tree. Okay. And I just dump everything out in the studio table and start pawing and see what catches my attention. And I have I have a box for glass and stone. I have a box for wood, for centers. I do have a, a bad problem with if I go into a gem store. Jewelry stores are bad enough because I like jewelry. I don't buy much, but I like jewelry. Well, what's really bad is in New Mexico, in Albuquerque, there's a, a Pakistani bead store, gemstone store called Kamayab, and they know me. And it's usually me and some Navajo jewelry makers in there. It's a huge store. And they know what I want. They know the kinds of things that I use. So I can get lost and I can spend all the rent if when I go to Albuquerque and go to Kamayan. So I do shop. I also dredge and look through other people's trash. Um, and that's a big thing now is... Um... Um, what do they call Recycle? It? Yeah, recycle art. I'm not a big fan of the word upcycling. At my at heart, I'm a purger. Never been, never accumulated things, as opposed to my sister, who's a keeper, and I'm a I'm a thrower awayer. I do believe that everything everything has its last use. 
And sometimes I'm the last user. And I'm happy. I'm good with that. I do throw things away. But I'm also really happy when I go to the American Association of University Women and they have a costume jewelry table at the book sale. I mean, be still my heart. Two of my <laughs> favorite things, right? I can buy a murder mystery and three brooches and, and spend $5. Isn't that fun? It is. Maybe 10 do, do you ever throw anything away? And then and then I'm, go and no and then go look for it and go kick yourself oh, that you no. threw it away. No, no, no. I'm no. curious what your studio looks like because we've interviewed other artists who say they have their art all over their homes, in their kitchens, in their living rooms, everywhere. And it sounds like you coming from the left brain side, you're very organized and you have everything in marked tubs. And I'm wondering if your studio is immaculate and that if that makes it easier for you to do your art or if you have to let it get a little bit messy, like I have to let my studio get messy before I can do my art. What is your medium? Do you use oils, acrylic, pastel, paint? Uh, well, I used to be a porcelain artist, and I had my own kiln in Missouri, and then when we moved, I got rid of all that. So I actually use watercolor, oil, acrylics, but mostly I do portraits, which I think is kind of my left brain side because there's so much proportion and math in the face. Oh, absolutely. I think that's great. And Linda is an amazing, an amazing portrait artist. He, he's very kind. but um, Well, he's also got a good eye, so I rely on him. <laughs> facial expressions are amazing. I don't know how the she does it. Faces are hard. I don't, I will, I have a picture, I have a picture of Bunny with her head in the fan, and I just took a quick picture of my studio table. Okay. And I have a small, I have a very small house. Steve probably didn't even know that I had moved to Tunis Mills and lived in a 100-year-old farmhouse in Tunis Mills for 20 years and 25 years. And But the building I'm in now was my office. So it's a 150-year-old house in downtown Easton in the historic district across from the Historical Society Garden. So I don't have any garden, but I do have the acres that the Garden Club takes care of that's across the street from me, which is pretty nice. But I don't have much space. But as I say, I'm, I'm pretty clear when I throw something away that it's gone. It's always an interesting question. My art group, my local Wednesday morning art group that actually meets face-to-face, -face, which is fun after, we have a ratio. It's one purger to every three hoarders. <laughs> so if more than two hoarders get together, they have to call me because I'm the only true certified card-carrying purger in the group. And I, I started something, I think this is sort of art related for me too, is I started something in my local artist group that a basket group I'm in does once a year. It's called, I don't want it, you may take it. And of course, everybody sings the last of the song, which if you don't know it, I'm certainly not gonna sing it, but I called it the swap. And I got permission from this group when I joined two, day, two years ago to start a swap table. A swap is when 
art supplies and other things from one artist's studio moves to another artist's studio to see if it works there. And so the swap table is always filled. And sometimes it has ratty ribbon and the nasty stuff. And I will leave the I will leave that out for max two weeks and otherwise it goes in the trash. I'm perfect for this job, right? But if it's if it's engaging and it's something that ev- that gets picked up at least twice, and I sit near, I can see who's picking stuff up. There's probably twenty of us at a meeting. I can see who's picking stuff up and who's interested in it and who brought what and who's just cleaning out their garage and not their studio. I know what's going to eventually go, and it's been so much fun. And people started bringing me bags of old costume jewelry. And I, I'm afraid I was a little too ecstatic. It was like they gave me, I don't drink alcohol, so I don't have a, I don't have a pack. And, and so I don't have a, I don't have a parallel for uh, for what it was like when somebody brings me. I'd almost rather have a bag of it, a baggie full of it, than the whole jewelry box because the jewelry box is sort of a precious artifact, but the baggie's not. I'm good at giving. I'm good at throwing stuff away. I'm the perfect end user for a lot of this stuff. Hey Jane, anyway, and not not to change the subject, but you mentioned oh, Easton. Oh, you change the subject. I'm going off on the swap table because I'm having so much fun. No, well, uh, other people's garages. Okay. I've I've. I've already written down swap table because I think at our gallery we could have a swap table maybe for a week um, put up a table in the classroom and just have some people bring stuff in and do a swap I think what a great idea that would be fun uh, adding excitement yeah uh, let me just tell you this practically cut this stuff out it's but the practical thing is, it took a year for people to start enthusiastically digging through things. I would seed the table with a couple of things from you and Linda and another teacher or so, and then see what people bring. That's a good idea. A legacy he left behind Inspired all of us to find The joy of painting bought up Easton and of course Gwen and I lived there for 18 months and we were down there a lot because the kids went to St. Peter and Paul school there and Gwen was a teacher's assistant there. Do you want to talk about Easton a little bit? Well I'd, lo- I'd love to. I've never lived anywhere but Talbot County as an adult. I moved here when I got married I finished my clerkship appellate court judge in Annapolis. I got married and my husband and I moved here and hung out a shingle. I loved everything about private practice. I was a part-time prosecutor, but I really wanted, I really needed to get back to my own office. And Easton was a perfect place to do that in the mid seventies. Easton is a town where nobody says, are you interested in doing work for the community? The question is, what community work are you going to do? And that makes for an amazingly rich atmosphere and environment because there's nothing, you know, we have a, we have a, a priceless Audubon facility here that every fifth grader in the county spends at least 
X days there every year. I can't, I don't know how long, but it's a big deal. We have one of the most noted plein air festivals in the United States. Steve can vouch for that, I think. You too, Linda, if you've heard of it. But it's just an amazingly small town, but also sophisticated without being uh, you know, too posh for words. I've always said I don't go any place for dinner that I can't go with wet hair. <laughs> I love that quote. It doesn't matter. Even uh, if it's even if it's a really nice restaurant, nobody's going to say, ma'am, you forgot to get dressed. They're mm-hmm. going to go, you want to sit outside or inside? Because they don't care. Mm-hmm. But Easton has been very good to me. I've given a lot back to Easton. The Waterfowl Festival is a big deal. I worked on the auction for the the decoy auction for years and years and years. Lots of other things to do with the Waterfowl Festival. It was a wonderful choice to move here. The kids that say to me, they say, yeah, but you moved here. And I go, yeah, but I picked it. You were just born here. You didn't get to pick that. I picked it. You know, that's my answer. I was a I was 26 years old, but we picked this place and it's turned out to be great. I'm not a beach person, don't much like it, but I didn't know I was going to fall in love with the marsh. And I did. And I have. And I and I still am in love with the marsh. I bet birding is fantastic there. It's too easy. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) You know, you know, my life list is not varied, but it's huge. You know, Mm -hmm. it's more of a it's a it's a seasonal thing is that I heard Canada geese the other day, and I'm going... It's a little early. Is that a res? That must be... That must be a resident flock. Trying to think if we had a resident flock that was that big around here. I mean, I can tell the difference between, you know, a lawnmower and a tractor and a combine. I mean, sounds that I never thought that my ear would even distinguish, much less recognize and go, huh, Jay's got his combine out. It's a wonderful way to live. And the town is... I. Uh, I'd be guessing, but I think there's probably less than 30,000 people in the whole county. It's been a dream that has evolved as my life has evolved over the time I've been here. I'm learning about the, uh, the depth of the art world here because I think of it as um, Waterfowl Festival. But to learn the Academy used to be called the Academy of the Arts, and now it's the Academy Arts Museum, has a deep and wide program, and people come on buses and ske- and schedule with their favorite docents to see the kinds of things that the Academy puts out, great classes there. So it's things that I wasn't interested in when I was in my 30s, but it's it's all been here. I mean, the Audubon place is open all the time and you can if you're an Audubon member you can borrow a kayak or a canoe and just put it in the water and paddle come back when you're finished that's a pretty amazing thing to have at your fingertips Steve we may have to take the art box podcast to Easton sometime that sounds fantastic yeah, yeah we'll just have to search for a grant yeah <laughs> um let me get back to your my, can I talk about my art group is is writing a grant we're going to make uh, somebody donated boxes of beveled glass for us. He's a stained glass and a glass artist, and he was moving and closing his studio. And so our group 
is collaborating on a sculptural piece. Oh my gosh! That, I know. I'm the list maker because I'm I'm just in awe of this the talent of these people. But if you need something thrilled. I have my Dremel. Are they going through the through the National Arts Council or do you know where no, they're the Maryland uh it's T A A M and I can't something art art Maryland, but okay. I, I will send you the link or maybe I can find it right now without losing the connection. Let me see. Um Well that's okay. I was just curious because uh for our grants we go through Nevada Arts Council or in Nevada Humanities. So it sounds like I think yours as well. The same, it's, mm-hmm. the same, it's the same idea. Yes. It because all... we are a pretty fabulous retirement community, we have people who used to write grants for a living who are around, who will help us, who are painters or whatever. So, Jane, I've been waiting to ask you. I've been sitting here kind of on pins and needles because I'm so interested in the answer you wrote about how you handle mistakes and the critic in your head and the word Linda in your answer. What would Linda do? Isn't that funny? Did you know my first name? My C doesn't know this. Very few people do. My first name is Linda. Oh, okay. Okay. But it's not, but that's not the Linda. Linda is a friend of mine. A pri- she's a basket maker, and she mostly does beads and bark, and she will coil with pine needles. She uses a lot of ponderosa pine needles. But Linda is, she is the sort of craftsperson who I would never call her a perfectionist. She doesn't measure the space between stitches uh, after the first row. I think we all measure for the first row. But what would Linda do? versus good enough is good enough is what will this look like in the greater scheme of things? Am I going to go to that place every time and see it as a flaw or is it going to be a design element and I'm okay with that? And that's the good enough is good enough is eh, it's a design element. And that just happened. I made a very elaborate collaboration of a, with a potter. And I picked up the wrong color thread, but not by much. But I could see it when I'd done an entire row of a very intricate stitch. And I'm like, what is this going to look like when when the thing is on? And I decided on good enough is good enough. And the basket is beautiful. And I'm probably the only person that saw it that would even notice. Sun changes what the pine needles look like and everything else. But I know that if I, I no longer have to send the photograph to Linda and said, how much of this should I tear out? Mm-hmm. Because she will always say all of it. Oh, um, okay. Because that's how she works. She wants to start back, scrape the canvas, put more gesso on, start again. You know, we usually know how far to go back. Linda and I have spent time together face to face in the last five years. And because she she lives in Oregon and I have family in Oregon. So it really is a wonderful, yeah, I grew up in Bethesda and there's a lot of government, close enough for government work, but I, I gave it a little more class of good enough is good enough. But I also have Linda saying, is this the way you want it to look? And so it's just a wonderful compromise. One thing I learned from all the Harry Potter stories, and I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a Potterhead, and that is that if there's a problem and you're really sick about it, have a little chocolate. Oh. <laughs> the kids do magic. And if they're having a little struggle, 
they get sent to the hospital wing and they are given chocolate. That's good so advice. So the critic in my head, sometimes all she needs is a chocolate chip cookie. There you go. So literally, literally sometimes I just get a cookie. And sometimes you have to set it back and look at it later, at least I do with my art. Uh, I'll put something away and then I'll bring it out uh, months or even years later and say, oh, that didn't look too bad. <laughs> I actually like it now. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I've never tried that. I've never let it go that long. Probably because you have that mantra, good enough is good enough. Well, and I'm also not afraid to take things out. I, uh-huh. I had a very complicated row of stitching yesterday and I was doing it while I was talking to somebody and it was not working and I didn't like anything about it. So the last thing I did before we ended the conversation is take it out and I and I haven't picked it up today. I'm even gonna change the thread color because I didn't like it. I wanna start again. Oh okay. And of course I don't know how much experience you have. There's a I don't know if it's a myth or truth, but that Amish quilters always make a mistake because only God is perfect. And so they don't want something they do to presume to be perfect. I want to be as good as I can be, but sometimes good enough is good enough. Amber cascades all over today. Then we walk on a crooked catwalk only to be delayed. Jane, how did you know you were an artist? Oh, I loved that question. I can tell you when I thought I was and somebody else didn't, I had my first gallery show and they called me an artisan. And I have a terrible potty mouth. And I had some terrible things to say. Oh, I remember from the hockey rink, yes. <laughs> the things you called me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Go on, I'm kidding. You told me I could wear the tiara, but I didn't want, I I don't know Linda. So I wasn't going to have you have to bleep out every that I did. But first gallery show, and I I was dear, dear friends with one of them. And they called me an artisan because they they were hesitant to call it art. And I thought, well, then what in the world does it take? If I'm an artisan, then what am I doing? I might as well go back to weaving baskets with read from a pattern. So when 10 of us leave a class, we have 10 identical baskets and you can't tell who made it. That's when I knew what I wasn't. And so that convinced me that I had thought of myself as an artist for longer than, than just when I got the, the first gallery show. And now I'm ha- I'm happy with the term. There was a painter in St. Michael's years ago who said, I don't call myself an artist. I leave that title to be a- applied by others. And I thought, oh, get over yourself. I'm a lawyer. I'm an artist. I'm a dog trainer. I'm a hot air balloonist. Come on, keep, you know, let me just keep going and tell you who I am, what I do. I think I've known when I started my first sketchbook because the the frontispiece that I drew on it says, I don't even know what date it is. I've got it right here. says, I paint more than my fingernails. And I wasn't making pine needle baskets then. May 4th, 1988. I paint more than just my fingernails. There's the date. That's what I knew. 
I don't think anybody else is. Although we have had a couple that said they were born artists. So that's a great story. I like how that occurred to you. Well, I'm a, I'm a big fan of stumbling blocks into stepping stones too. By the way, in case you didn't notice in some of the answers, we did. So, which gets me to, and Linda and I had a conversation about this. I believe it was you and I at at the Barrack, and I think it was with Deanne Soul, who's communications director at the Marjorie Barrett Museum of Art. And we talked about um, we talked about senses, and we got down to smell. Was that you and I? You told me about it. Okay, maybe it was just yes. maybe I just interviewed her, and we were talking about because you said here that we should not only touch and feel, but we we should smell your baskets, we should smell your work, and we got into a conversation with Deanne about how could you do that, and there was a lot of ins and outs and that you couldn't, but you just brought it up that it's very easy with your art that you can add that extra sense in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you're not transported by what by the tactile sensation in your hands to put it up to your face, then I've done something wrong. So there's an example of where you can use smell. Mm-hmm. And it, it does wear over time. You know, the uh, untreated fresh pine needles and sinew with a little beeswax with a cedar center and sisal twine certainly smells more like a campfire than it does the midway at the Harrington State Fair, which is the Delaware State Fair, Linda. Everything, I, I imagine the Icelandic still has a bit of a scent of the dye in the pine needles. It does, have a, it, it does have a scent. Not overpowering, just a wonderful scent. So, so that's one of the things you, you, you've accomplished it. And I don't know. That's one of the senses that's not common in an in an art gallery. But Steve, this I is can a natural. Generally talk scent. Kids yeah. into tasting them. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my God! <laughs> don't get Linda gone on tasting. <laughs> if your mothers aren't around. I I've been clean, I've been cleaning pine needles for two days, treating pine needles for two days. And one of the ways I tell if the glycerin is right is by tasting them. Oh, really? Steve, yeah. we have to try that. Yeah, yeah, Linda will be trying it. Linda, she'll head off into the desert and and taste every berry well, that she sees let, because of... The, let, me, uh, uh, I, let me tell you this. This is after being cooked for two hours in a broth of glycerin and water in with pine needles at 250 degrees. So it's full of tannin and full of glycerin, so it should taste piney sweet. Oh, okay. And I want to make sure that I've gotten all the glycerin out I Mm. can, so it's not too sweet. Sure. So don't go sticking sticking Apache pine needles in your mouth. I don't know (laughs) what that's all about. But if you boil them or freeze them, you'll be okay. Steve just gives me a hard time because we interviewed a guest who was very skilled in the study of birds. Yeah, the Audubon Society. And he talked about the desert mistletoe berries, and he mentioned that he tasted them to see what they were like. So the next time Steve and I went into the desert, I tried it. Did you try those, Steve? After me. 
Oh, you yeah. weren't with me when I... I wasn't yeah. with you, but then the next After time he found out there, that I, I lived, then he tried it. Then just a few days ago, we were trying um, some cacti. Yes, the, yes, that's the, yeah, Tyler bought cacti for Yeah, yeah, the, that's now, from now, what's your position on fire? Are you, are you pro-firearm enough that you would use a shotgun to shoot down mistletoe out of trees? Because that's how you harvest mistletoe on the eastern shore of Maryland. Really? Well, it's now, your you It missile, looks like a bright green squirrel's nest. You shoot ahead. it down with a shotgun. Wow. I just wanted to point out so you don't go try your mistletoe. Yours is actually poisonous. Ours isn't. Yeah, ours is poisonous. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's really interesting. No, no I had no clue it's that that's how it's... It yeah, wow. You're out, in the, you're out in the woods. You're out in the woods looking for something to shoot. Mm-hmm. We have no woods. You know what your license says. You don't have a license for anything, but there's mistletoe. Blam. Do you listen to music while you're doing, or do you listen to radio, maybe a podcast or a book? I don't listen to music. Sometimes I, you know, I grew up in Bethesda, so I'm an old Washingtonian at heart. Sometimes I'll listen to Eva Cassidy just for old time's sake. But um, no, I don't listen to music. And, but I listen to a lot of books. Can I tell you the Audible book story? That I, 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 yeah, you have an audio book story. Not, not, a, book on, not a book on tape, because that would age us. <laughs> listen, I listened to Harry Potter books the first time on cassettes in my car. <laughs> oh, wow. A long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, it, and it wasn't Jim Dale. It was Stephen Fry. Anyway, um, I may, early on, probably, I started in 2013, so maybe 2014. It was one of the first baskets I sold, 2015. I finished this basket, and I knew that it was so Asian. It, the, it was evocative of the Far East. It was Chinese. It was something about this basket that just transported me. And I was, and I was, I was very interested. The center was a very, was a laser cut butterfly. It was very delicate. And I just didn't know what was going on, but, but, but it was clearly evoking China to me. And then like two days later, I realized that I had been listening to the new Amy Tan novel the entire time I was making this basket and the evocative what was going on was between my ears to my fingertips. But it, there was nothing Asian about the basket. There was nothing Chinese about the basket. But to this day, I know who has it. I know that I would look at that basket and want tea, a tea, a, a tea ceremony or something like that, because Amy Tan made such an impression between my ears to my fingertips when I was making that basket. So yes, I listen to I listen to books. I try not to listen to the really violent ones when I'm coiling. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. What has inspired you recently? This is a that is such a good question. And my answer is collaboration. I have always been a collaborator. I think that's the nature of the practice of law. 
in ballooning, we got We have a crew. I mean, we have to work together. It's not safe for anybody. But art collaboration was new to me. And so I started asking people in my artist group, particularly the potters, for something, a, pe a small piece that I could use as a basket center. And they didn't know what to do with me until I had given a couple of them back. And they realized that I really meant to make something beautiful out of whatever piece they had just sort of put aside. Because, because now people give me good things. People in the beginning were giving me pieces that they weren't ever going to use. But now that I've been involved in these collaborations one-on-one -on -one with different artists, we started with three of us doing. We have a wood turner and a clay artist and me, and we're going to create an enormous bowl of Norwegian elm with her pottery and my pine needles in this turned live edge bowl. So it's impossible for me not to get, I'm sitting here using my hands, trying to show you what this basket looks like and what it's gonna feel like when we get finished with it. Because the collaboration part of it is so rich. I've always been a fan of hybrid vigor. I think that cross-pollination is one of the strongest things in our lives. And the, the essence of collaboration to me is cross-pollination and hybrid vigor and new things coming when you put combinations of things that aren't normally combined together. So what has inspired me basically for the last year has been collaboration. I can see how that would be inspiring. And what a beautiful piece of art the three of you are going to have. Yeah, wow. I'm just, yeah. Two of my, three of my basketry friends and I just finished a collaboration for the Longleaf Alliance, which is a mm -hmm. conservation group for longleaf pines on the coastal Atlantic, southern coastal, eastern coastal, what eastern, southern coastal Atlantic, longleaf pine, in basically stretching through Alabama, Mississippi to Virginia. And it started in Oregon with the center and then it went to Michigan and the woman did a wire wrap. I'll send you these pictures, did a wire wrap and some rows. And then I got the color in and, and then somebody else did some other color and then somebody else put some more wire on it. So four of us were involved and we never worked together. It went from Tinker to Evers to Chance, you know, went from Oregon to, to Michigan, I mean, I'm sorry, Wisconsin to Maryland, back to Oregon and then to Florida where the person bought it. And what a friendship we've created over that piece. What? Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow. So you guys' fingers never touched in the making of mm. that piece? No. No, it's not like a quilting bee, although I'd be good at a quilting bee. It's not a quilting bee. It is, it's the collaboration of who goes, who, who's going to start it? Well, where's the center? How about this? Yes. Oh, why don't we do a wire wrap? Okay. There's a lot of different ways to anchor a center in a basket. Anyway, I'll send you those pictures as well. Okay. And I have a Facebook page. Change whole our basketry. 
Linda, one of the nicest things Gwen did for me was she asked me to make Christmas ornaments with teddy bears so that everybody in the family, after Teddy was Teddy, the grandson was born, everybody had a teddy ornament. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And yeah. I had a couple, I had enough teddy brooches that I could do it. But it's a great little story sure. of, of, of something that I just happened to have. Somebody says, do you have any frogs? And I went, well, maybe. Yeah, we love those, and they're hanging on everybody's trees. Is he five? He's three. Thank you so we'll much, it. Jane. It was so... Thank you, Linda. It was a pleasure to meet you, Steve. It's like to, like, nice to renew an old friendship with a piece of Iceland on the table right in front of you. <laughs> Broadcasting from Mesquite, Nevada, in the scenic Mojave Desert, the Art Box sponsors thank you for listening. To find our next and past podcasts, find us online at mesquitefineartcenter.com, where all accompanying images and links are available on the Art Box page. Questions, comments, opinions, and concerns can be sent to artboxvv at gmail.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of its hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Virgin Valley Artists Association.